Okay, so we're reading from Galatians 2, 11 to 21. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing." Uh, at this uh, time of uh, the day, the week um, of this service, uh, we come before you now to hear from your word. And Father, we pray that uh, you would give us concentration in our minds and softness in our hearts, that we would understand uh, what it is that you're teaching us and that we would uh, live our lives in accordance to that, uh, putting our trust wholly in the Lord Jesus Christ and living with him in our lives. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, is there anything I can bring? That's a, a question we often ask when someone invites us to their place for dinner, don't we? I mean, that's a nice question, I think, don't you? Because uh, we, we don't want uh, the whole burden of responsibility uh, for hospitality to uh, fall on the host... Uh, we like the idea of, of contributing something ourselves, uh, which in our, our culture usually means uh, we bring some drinks or, or the dessert. Is that right? But then there's that, that saying that goes, you can't turn up empty-handed, uh, which is not so much about wanting to bring something, it's more like you have to bring something because it would be wrong uh, to expect the host to do everything for us. And if we don't turn up with the drinks or the ice cream, uh, the, uh, the meal just won't be complete. And so what do we do? We swing past the supermarket on our way to dinner, don't we? Because you can't turn up empty-handed. Uh, it's in our culture. It's, it's kind of the way that we think about that and about other aspects of life as well. So that even when someone is offering to 
to do it all for us at no expense to us when they want to be gracious, they want to be generous, they just want to do it all for us, uh, we kind of feel like we've got a responsibility to contribute something. And that can actually um, create uh, an issue for us when we grapple with the gospel. Um, Because when you think about it, the gospel is like an invitation, isn't it? Uh, It's an invitation where God, the God of the universe, uh, the God who is perfect, the God who is holy, the God who made us, he invites us, he invites you and me to enter into a, into a relationship with himself. And although we know uh, that Christ has died for us, uh, we can sometimes reflect on that invitation and we can think, well, is there something I can bring? <laughs> is there something I can contribute to my own salvation? As if it wouldn't be complete... Uh, unless I did. Now, <clears throat> of course, uh, it doesn't help us when uh, someone kind of sows that thought uh, in your mind that you can't expect God to do it all for you, that you've got to contribute something yourself. Uh, a few years ago, I remember there was a, a local church leader who uh, shared with me that uh, there'd been some new people who had joined his church And uh, that's always nice. You like it when new people join your church. But these people were actually spreading the word amongst his congregation that trusting in Christ was not enough. That they also had to contribute something to their own salvation. And in that case, uh, they said it was they needed to obey the Old Testament food laws. You know, sometimes people like that can actually hold sway and they they can actually seem they can be very influential because they can seem um, biblical in what they're saying and uh, sometimes they can be very charming as well in fact even the apostle Peter was acting less like a rock than he should have when he allowed himself to be influenced by people just like that And he had no excuse. Let me explain why Peter had no excuse. Um, For most of his life, um, as a Jew, uh, Peter would have had nothing to do with Gentiles. um, That is, people who are not Jews. Uh, The the world to the Jews was divided up into two categories. There's Jews and everyone else. (laughs) Everyone else were Gentiles. But for most of his life, Peter would have nothing to do with Gentiles because according to the Old Testament law there was so much of what Gentiles did which was spiritually unclean and he most certainly would never have gone to their homes and eaten with them because the Old Testament was very, very strict on food laws. However, you know, um, Jesus changed all of that. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law. And uh, this was quite dramatic for Peter. In Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter was... um, Peter Peter received a vision. Uh, He received a vision from... And a a voice from heaven spoke to him. And he saw this uh, sheet come down from heaven with all these animals that were forbidden for uh, Jews to eat. 
And the voice uh, declared to Peter that now the food laws were no more, um, that God has now made all foods clean. And Peter protested and said, no, 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 it's not like that. And three times the voice from heaven said that all foods are now clean. And then what happened? Well, the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit then told Peter to go to the house of a Gentile, a, a, a man, a, a, a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius, that Peter was to go to this Gentile person's house and he obeyed that. <clears throat> and when he got there, Cornelius had received a vision from God that this Peter was going to come to him and Peter had Cornelius had gathered together all of his Gentile friends are uh, to greet Peter in this Gentile home. And let me share with you what Peter said to these Gentiles uh, when he arrived at, the, at that centurion's home. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 10, verse 28, he said this. <clears throat> he said, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him but God has shown me that I should call no man impure or unclean. And then what did Peter do? He shared the gospel with them. He told them about Jesus and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they believed. They believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They trusted in Jesus. And you know what, Peter... He, he rejoiced at that. He was overjoyed because he could see, he saw with his own eyes that the distinction between Jew and Gentile was now gone and that God now forgives both Jews and Gentiles when they simply put their trust in Jesus and what he did for them on the cross. It was a great moment. A great moment is the gospel now extends and starts impacting the world and people non-jews uh, unless you're a jew you're a gentile people like us could actually be saved and have a relationship with god forever great moment and peter was at the very heart of that however if you now open your bibles to today's passage uh, in galatians chapter 2 the apostle paul recounts something which happens subsequent to that. He recounts how the, the Apostle Peter behaved in a city called Antioch. You know, Antioch was uh, uh, a place where, um, the, uh, where, where Jewish Christians had, had gone to and they'd, they'd started sharing the gospel with Gentiles and many Gentiles heard about Jesus and they believed in Jesus, many of them did, and there was a church that was established in Antioch, a church which was mostly Gentile believers. And have a look at what happened. Verse 11, Paul says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James... He used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself 
from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, who was the son of encouragement, was led astray. So um, picture this. Um, because there was now no distinction in God's eyes between Jews and Gentiles, uh, Peter in Antioch could freely eat with Gentiles. And we can imagine him doing so. We can imagine him perhaps sharing the gospel with non-Christian non Gentiles over a meal. Uh, we can imagine him sharing a meal with, with Gentiles who had trust in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. But now he steps back. Now he withdraws fellowship from these people. Why? Why would he withdraw from people like us? Why is it that if he was in this church, he would move away from having fellowship with you and with me? Was it um, just an honest mistake on Peter's part? Was it some problem of conscience that he had? No. No. It was peer pressure. In fact, it was more than just peer pressure. You see, certain men, we're told, had come from the church in Jerusalem. Um, they say, it says there, Paul says there, that they had come from James, the Apostle James, who was one of the leaders in the church in, Jer in Jerusalem. Um, James, we know, did not endorse these men. Uh, he's, he says that uh, in the book of Acts. He didn't endorse them to come. He'd, he didn't like the fact that there were people coming from him and were troubling uh, the Gentile Christians. Um, because these men were called, they were part of what was called the circumcision group. Uh, you can imagine the Jerusalem church, that it had a little faction called the circumcision group. And these were people who were, who were Jews, but they believed and they taught that for Gentiles to be saved, they must not only trust in Jesus, but they must also become like Jews. They must become like Jews and that would mean that they would have to start obeying the Old Testament laws in order to be fully accepted by God. Old Testament laws, um, particularly for men's circumcision and uh, for everyone, the food laws. So these were those people. You know, um, when I was a young minister, and that's a long time ago, um, I'm about 30 years ago this is what happened to me over a period of two years, I actually found myself being cultivated by some people uh, who were like this, who were inside the Presbyterian church. And uh, I was invited to dinner, I was invited to a barbecue, I was invited to a fancy French restaurant uh, where they tried to charm me into teaching gospel plus law. Can you believe that? I, um, <clears throat> I, I, at the restaurant, there was a bunch of ministers there. It was only the young Turk who put up his hand and said, no, I don't agree with this. <laughs> I didn't check the menu to see if all the food was kosher. I doubt it was. <laughs> but you see, what happened here in Antioch is that, is that Peter gave in to that kind of pressure. Why did he do so? It was because of fear. 
he wanted to avoid being rebuked by these Jerusalem people <laughs> from the Jerusalem church. He wanted to avoid being rebuked by them. I'm going to ask you this question. Who would you rather be rebuked by? Some men whose names don't even make it into the Bible or would you rather be rebuked by the Apostle Paul who tells the whole story about you in the Bible? <laughs> now, it's a good thing that this is in the Bible, that um, Paul rebuked Peter, because as Paul says in verse 14, um, Peter, by his behaviour, was quote, not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Actually, the word which is translated as not acting in line, I think it's a really good word. Uh, it's the word from which we get orthopedic from. <laughs> orthopedic. Um, you know, being straight, uh, ortho, and um, ped uh, is foot, like, like podiatrists and so on. And, and so literally it reads not walking straight with respect to the truth of the gospel. That Peter, by his behaviour, was going off course. He wasn't walking straight. And so what did Paul need to do for Peter? He needed to straighten him up, didn't he? He needed to straighten him up. And how did he do that? Well, check out verse 15. This is what he said to Peter. He said, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles... Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, who will be justified? No one. No one. So this, this is... Uh, Paul speaking Jew to Jew to Peter. And, and what he's saying is this. He's saying we may not be sinful Gentiles, but why did we have to put our faith in Christ? Well, because in becoming Christians, we realised that actually no one could be right with God by observing the law. In fact, in verse 17, uh, he says that they realise something really big about themselves as Jews and they realise this, that they, they realise that we too are sinners. Sinful Gentiles? Well, we too are sin sinners. The Gentiles didn't have the law, but the Jews didn't obey the law because they couldn't obey the law because of sin. So how can either be saved? It's not by the law, is it? It's only by Christ and his death on the cross. Peter knew that as a Jew, the Old Testament never saved him. It was only trusting in Christ. He knew that as a Jew. He knew that he was not saved by obeying the law. He knew that he was only saving, saved by trusting in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that for himself as a Jew, but by withdrawing fellowship from Gentiles, what was his message to them? Well, if you were in that church as a Gentile, what would you be thinking? You'd be thinking, the Apostle Peter won't eat with us anymore. 
he only eats that special food. Maybe, maybe trusting in Christ is not enough. Maybe I should also be eating only that special food. Maybe I should also be obeying the Old Testament law. And then, if I did that, I can move from associate membership of God's people into full membership of God's people. I won't be empty-handed. I'll be contributing something to my salvation. And I won't be sinning by ignoring the Old Testament law. You know, sometimes it can be put to us like that, that, um, yes, uh, trusting in Christ, that's great. That's what you need to do. And people say, well, I'm not saying you're not saved if you don't start obeying the Old Testament law, but are you sure are sinning if you don't? And someone who's very close to our family uh, was taught that in her church. Not saying that you're not quite saved if you don't go through this particular ceremony, but you're kind of sinning if you don't. Well, it's splitting hairs, isn't it? It's splitting hairs. Um, Because unless you're obeying the Old Testament food laws, these people would say that you were actually sinning. As if trusting in Christ alone promotes sin because it stops you from obeying the Old Testament laws. When in actual fact the opposite is true, um, check out verse 17. Uh, Paul goes on saying, If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, that is, Jews being sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, that's when I prove that I'm a lawmaker. Um, Let me try to explain that. You know, I once met a man who uh, said to me that he was sure that he was going to go to heaven when he died. And I asked him why. He said, well, because I've obeyed all the Ten Commandments. I said, well, really? Have you read them lately? He said, no, I haven't. So we read through the Ten Commandments together and talked about them in the light of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount about, you know, sinning in your heart. And And by the end of that conversation, he says, well, I've actually broken all ten of these commandments in the last week. (laughs) Don't laugh, so have you. Or at least some of them. At least some of them. It's why we need Christ, isn't it? It's why we need Christ. So if, if we say that it's Christ plus the law, then a simple honest evaluation of ourselves in the light of what Jesus says about the law and what and heart obedience we'd have to come to the conclusion that we would fail to obey the law so if it's Christ plus obedience to the law we're going to be judged by the law and we're going to fail at that point we're going to fail you know um, Paul uh, used to be a Pharisee and uh, and that meant uh, amongst other things that he was He was a fanatic when it came to obeying the Old Testament laws. He would have been absolutely fanatical about trying to earn his salvation, trying to earn merits, trying to impress God by obeying every single Old Testament law. It's who he was. 
It's how he lived. Always seeking to earn God's favour. Always seeking to do more to impress God. Always seeking to obey every single law. And things changed for him, didn't they? Dramatically. Dramatically. Because when he realised that what the law did was simply expose how sinful he was. What the law did was it showed up how how much he actually failed to obey the law and that what he actually needed was a saviour. He found that saviour in Jesus and he said, about the law, I died to all of that. I died to all of that. Check out verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, (laughs) I live not by law, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me wonderful passage isn't it you see like Paul we when we view ourselves honestly we are the like the person who receives the invitation from God and we say I'm sorry but I've got nothing to give you are a holy God I am a sinful person. I'm not worthy. I've got nothing in my hand. I bring nothing to this relationship. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm empty-handed. And God says, I know. I know that. I know you're empty-handed. I know that you've got nothing that you can, can bring. And you don't have to bring anything. I don't want you to bring anything. In fact, you can't bring anything. Because my son Jesus has done it all. He's done it all. There's nothing I want you to bring because Jesus has, di- has died on the cross for you. You know, sometimes I've, I've asked people, even people who've been part of this congregation uh, over the years, and I've asked them this question, are you sure that you're going to heaven when you die? And sometimes people have said to me, I don't know. I hope I will. I, I believe in Jesus and all that, but I'm just not sure if I've been good enough. I'm just not sure. I hope I'll get there. I said to him, can I share with you how you can actually be sure? How you can be certain? Uh, You see, you are quite right to doubt that you're good enough. You're quite right to doubt that you've done enough because you haven't. But that's the very reason why Jesus died on the cross For on the cross he paid the penalty for everything about you 
that is just so wrong in the sight of God. Every wrong thought, every wrong word, every wrong action, everything, every sin that you've ever committed, well, he's paid for that. The righteous requirements of the law have been met not by you, but by him when he paid the debt which you owed. What you need to do is you need to put your trust in him and trust that he has done that for you. Do you trust that? Do you trust in the Lord Jesus? Do you trust that there is nothing that you can actually add to your salvation? It's liberating when you do. Absolutely liberating. And it was life-changing for the, for the Apostle Paul because if instead of him living to impress God and instead of us living to impress God, we can live rather for God in joyful gratitude for the Son of God who loved us, who gave himself for us and who now by his Spirit lives within us. You trust in that. It's a great invitation, isn't it? And yet, sometimes when we've grasped that, uh, over the years, uh, we can become a little bit like Paul. And we, can we can sometimes stop walking straight in respect to the gospel. Why would we do that? Well, for Peter, it was because of fear, peer pressure, wanted to be on the inside with those people from Jerusalem at the expense of loving and having fellowship with his friends in his church. And for us, sometimes it might be um, pride. Perhaps some pride uh, takes root in our hearts. Uh, perhaps we've once trusted solely in Christ, but over the years as we've been doing lots of things uh, for the Lord, we start to trust more in those things which we've done for the Lord. And our actual trust in Christ seems to fade, replaced by a bit of pride. Because we think, well, I've got to, I've got to bring something to this. And uh, we, we, can, um, uh, we, we, can, we can be thinking that, uh, there is, that we've been going to church for half of our lives. We've been doing all these things for God. And we think that that's something that we can now present to him. We can think that we don't come empty-handed. And in which case, we just have to, have to think about that question that arises out of verse 21, that if that is the case, if we come to God with something in our hands, then why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to die? If righteousness can be obtained by observing the law, by doing things for God, then there was no, you don't need Jesus. Jesus didn't need to die. Nothing in my hand I bring, wrote the hymn writer, simply to your cross I cling. Stained by sin to you I cry, wash me saviour or I die. Will you join with me in prayer? Our gracious Father, 
We pray that you would forgive us for those times when we've thought that there's something worthy about us that we can bring to you, something which can add to our salvation, something which could make us uh, more acceptable to you. Father, help us to see ourselves as you in Christ see us, as sinners needing to be saved. And we thank you so much for your son who loved us and who gave himself for us and how now by his spirit lives within us. And we pray for each one of us here, perhaps for those who've uh, not yet reached that point in their lives of putting their trust in you, that you would help us to be clear on who Jesus is, on why he died, that we might receive that free gift of salvation and rejoice in that. In his name we pray. Amen.